Ross Chastain used the wall all the way around this racetrack. Logano has been the class of the field. Check out the big brain on Brad. Yeah, I need to change my underwear. Brian Twining, we talked about it all week. We were so ready for it. And my God, it was Sunday a Marty party. I got my I got my <laughs> jersey on. I got my Bass Pro Shops. You obviously have your Napa Truex hat, which is very, very Ooh. legit. But uh, we talked about it with Derek Yoder on the betting preview show. You yes, shouted it out as your favorite outright. Um, and honestly, if we're going to hit a Marty outright, I think that was like, amazing like he was out in front and he was dominating the whole race yeah there the only time i got worried was when we got that caution with like was it like 30 something laps to go or something like anytime they brought the field closer together i was like oh crap here we go with these restarts people are going to get aggressive and you know they're honestly on a road course there's no worry of any suspensions of right hooking somebody because they could just claim they went too deep into the corner like so that, that was the only time, but I mean, I think from the get, it was clear Truex was the best car on track. And for, as somebody who has struggled to pick outrights this year, it felt so effing good to be on the guy who unloaded the best yeah. that early in the week. Like, Yeah, as somebody who's hit a few outrights this year, it was nice to add another tally to the sheet. <laughs> yeah, um, It was also really nice to have an idea about where we wanted to go, have that prove itself in practice and in qualifying. And for that number to be shattered by the time we actually started firing off, um, it was really, it it, it, like, especially after the week we had uh, the week before, where we literally could not hit a bet to save our lives. I think we hit one out of like, I think it was like one out of, yeah, it was awful. Um, so that was, that was frustrating. So to get back to it, have our process come to fruition, it was very, very nice. So let's, let's show the fine folks, uh, what we looked at for the card. We'll look at some DraftKings, which Brian don't want to, don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but we did, um, also find a way to be, uh, productive over on DraftKings too. So, we clearly had a vision for what we wanted, and it, it came to fruition pretty nicely. Um, I will say, as somebody who bet Kyle Bush early um, and then saw that number yeah. after qualifying, I was not excited. But when the with the obviously he made some interesting decisions to stay out, but that that caution got him to the front, and when he was up there, he was literally the only car that was actually sort of competitive with Truex. Yeah, and I found that to be rather interesting because, you know, just throughout the day on, like, even leading up to the race, we were all kind of chatting. And I think the most common sentiment about the race was that regardless of speed, it was really going to be strategic in terms of who was going to be up front. And it was going to be difficult to pass. And that definitely played out with there really only being two passing zones on this road course. So, you know, it was it was so nice to see Martin Truex Jr. be one of the very few cars that was able to move throughout the field. Yeah. And then, yeah, Bush, he just – he made a great call. A, he got to the front, and he stayed there. And like you said, he battled it out with Truex, but over the long run, he just couldn't – I mean, Bush was probably driving at 105%, where Truex was just kind of putting around at 90. That, that Like, yeah. that's how good his car was. And like you said, though, 
uh, at our offshore, Bush was one of the few guys that I placed the uh, early outright on. It was him, Truex, and of course I laid the the large number on Blaney. But um, you know, when the number got reposted, I was like, damn, I kind of want to go back at that. But it was nice to see him battle up front, having placed that bet early in the week. Once again, the 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 thought process that we had going into practice and qualifying, even though, and he honestly didn't even qualify that poorly. He was like what eleventh, like yeah. It was interesting. I also, I know there's a lot of like, you know, a lot of dissenting opinions. A lot of people like the race. A lot of people are like, nah, I don't like it. I do like having the strategy races, not every single week, but a handful of strategy specific races um, to build in throughout the year. Because I think it does offer a different angle and it helps some of the drivers really have a shot. So. Um, well, I thought I had fun watching it. Obviously, having outright with your guy in front dominating helps, but I think I would have had fun either way. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, obviously, we're, we're coming from a sense of you know peer relation, having picked the winner. But I think yeah. it it's fun to see races play out outside of just people, you know, set cautions. Like, obviously, yeah. it's gonna be battle on pit road, but it's because they they had to go to yeah. pit road, like. This was interesting to see who was pitting early, who who pitted early that forced everybody else to pit, how those tires were actually going to function later yeah. in the run, or was that actually going to help them? Like It was cool to see kind of a throwback-style race. And, and honestly, something I didn't expect, see the best car ultimately yeah. win as well. Yeah, it really feels like true, like especially like, as the season's gone along. If, it, if that was like most races, Truex is dominant for 95%. And then ends up losing to Kyle Busch. That's <laughs> um, I know. I know Chase Elliott was was shocked, and it was kind of interesting to see so many cars pit on that last caution. Yeah, um, and and not stay out, and obviously, and I, you know, we'll, we'll let's, let's run through the car because I did fade Chase Elliott hard this week, and I kind of feel like I was right. Um, I think he was a mid pack driver most of the day. But obviously that last caution, uh, he was able to kind of get to the front a couple times. I think it was like the the, the second to last and then the last caution, obviously, yeah. he stayed out. So he ended up finishing stronger than I really think his car and his day warranted. But track position. Track position was so important. So um, And he was obviously able to stay there when, once he got up there. So had some had a few outrights. Uh, obviously, Ross Chastain did not hit, but Marty Party, 35 to 1. Um, half unit crushed that. Um, and then I hit Byron at 10. Byron was, was really frustrating. He ended up even having a decent day by the end of it. Um, and being a lot more, co- uh, competitive than he did looked in practice and qualifying, but overall a really rough day for Hendrick. Um, yeah. I hit Kyle Larson, uh, over Tyler Reddick. Obviously Reddick was having a better day, but because of the accident, um, he, you know, he was out of the race. Uh, Toyota to win. We talked about that on the betting preview show. I thought that was a screaming value at three to one. Obviously, once qualifying happened, that number cut basically cut in half. I was like, yeah, it was like plus one fifty or even mm-hmm. plus one twenty five. I think by the time we went green at yeah. some market, so that was a good bet. Yeah, so I, I loved I loved hitting that. Uh, obviously, my Truex top ten, Truex top three, and then my one my fir- one best bet was Kyle Larson to top five. Obviously, that didn't come to fruition. He was fine. He just wasn't. Yeah, he was, again, um, the, the Hendrick guys were blah. Like they were, they yeah. were, ah, yeah. I and mean, then I added two more units of Larson over Reddick. 
at plus 100, and obviously that came to fruition. So overall, a really solid day. Uh, more more hits than misses, and obviously hitting it outright really makes makes everything move. Uh, like you, you were on Truex. Um, you added so wait, where didn't you, where's your scroll up? Oh, there we go. All right, so you had him um, initially, and then you added some more because uh, you felt it, and that yep. was a great call on your part. Obviously, the Blaney call didn't work out, but he did have a better he... day. Yeah, and if he, he didn't he, get spun out at the end, exactly. he had a much, much better day. Yeah, because he he had strategically, again, like this is the, yeah. kind of the way I thought the race was going to go. He had moved his way inside the top 10. So I thought a top 10 bet on Blaney yeah, was, was going to be great. Yeah, that was a really that was a really smart bet. Bubba definitely didn't have the day we were expecting, but no. that's okay. Um, Bowman yes, didn't look great. Bowman didn't look great. Lots of Truex winners, thanks to Martin Truex. Kyle Bush top ten. That was a nice bet. Yeah, I had I had texted Kyle. I, I made a few additions to the card, mm -hmm. and one of them was Bush. Like I I felt it with Kyle Bush. Um, and then I went opposed to Kyle going with Kyle over William Byron. Yep. As well. Yep. So those were those were some nice hits. Um, I think going, it, you know, it's interesting to, to figure it out, right? Because you go into the week, you have thoughts about how it could pan out and what your expectations are. Obviously, practice and qualifying happens. We come out of there, we have different things to think about, um, all that kind of stuff. So it's really about balancing expectations going in and what you saw and figuring that out. Because we both like Kyle Busch going in, obviously, the qualifying result gave us better numbers on some of the stuff. So going back to the well kind of made sense if you felt good enough to go there. Yep. Um, but obviously there was a lot to think about because his number dropped dramatically. So it, it's really understanding, okay, I watched practice of qualifying. This is what happened. How do I process that to about making, book, making best going forward? Because you're going to get better numbers on some people you loved. Yeah. And you just have to decide... Did I like them for the right reasons or is their car just shit and I should avoid them at all costs? That, that's yeah, and that, to that point, that's exactly what happened with my Cindric over Dinger. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, opening the week, I felt pretty confident that Cindric was going to have the better car and it was pretty quickly uh, beaten into my brain that that was definitely not going to be the case Which because Cindric looked like doo-doo. And I think... That too, Penske as a whole did not perform well, but somehow that SOB number 22, Joey Logano, worked his way inside the top effing five and finished third. I still yep. am upset about that. Yeah, he's he he's he, there. There's a reason why we have um, thoughts that we do on certain drivers. It's just because you, when you bet on them, they, yep. they refuse to win. And when you bet against them, even if their car is an absolute dumpster fire, they find a way to get to where they need to be to ruin your day. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, really, really solid week. So since uh, Goodyear, uh, Brian is up 17 and a half units. I'm up 21 uh, and a third unit, obviously hitting Truex was really nice and helped balance out the shit show that was uh, the race prior. Mm -hmm. um, on the season, I'm up almost seven units. Brian's uh, only is down about 20, but, you know, obviously that was more of dig digging himself into a massive hole early and yeah. um, finding a way to climb out of that. 
let's just say no more no more super speedway uh yes we're we're not going aggressive on super speedways and honestly i might just pick three outrights and call it a day i was just gonna say i might it's just such a disaster unit. Yeah. wormy told us we don't listen and uh <laughs> you know i we had to learn you know we're, we're those people that have to learn um you know firsthand but uh we're we're yeah. figuring some stuff out um i have a feeling chicago might be similar too uh, over on DraftKings, um, so I built this on Sunday morning um, with some of the stuff that we talked about. But my optimism for Penske and obviously Ryan Blaney's day didn't, I, you know, if he has even a better day, I, I do better. But yeah, I have Logano get third. I have Kyle Busch get first. I have Truex get for I have Truex get first. Kyle Busch get second. So having the top three obviously helped. Uh, McDowell was fine. He he probably wasn't quite as strong as I had hoped but was still fine and it was able to put together a solid day given where he was starting. And then Justin Haley was just, was fine for what he is. I got in, I didn't need him to, to be yeah, um, a ringer. To your point with, with Blaney, like uh, on McDowell's side, he should have finished inside the top five. Yeah. If he didn't have that crap, at least top late. 10, like up 20 spots, you're feeling much, much better about him and where he's at. So, but Hey, I'm not going to complain about a $3 in $10 out. Like, um, I hit the three max. I, I, you know, I made some money. I was, I think, one twenty four, um, out of a contest of like, a, what is it, thousand people? So fifty nine hundred, over fifty nine hundred. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. They paid fifteen hundred, paid uh, almost six thousand entries. So, you know, one twenty four. I'm pretty happy with that. Um, and then over here, um is the other one we this is the one we built on the show so obviously we had kyle larson um you know what was a top 10 car we i think we expected a lot more and you know so did half of DraftKings, but that's okay <laughs> uh truex obviously was the one of the guys you absolutely had to have uh blaney bowman was fine not great mcdowell and haley so obviously you know you see the we're not it's not quite as strong without having Logano or or some of the other guys, but overall it was fine. And you know, six bucks into fifteen, I'm I'm not gonna complain one bit. With that being said, Brian, the week is in the books. We are going to actually we have a very special guest joining us today. Uh we pre-recorded this interview, so we're gonna kick it over to that. But Todd Furman, you see yeah. him on the bet the board podcast obviously does uh, stay green with our guy, Chris Wormy. Um, you also see him all over CBS. You've seen him on Fox. He's uh, a national betting analyst. He uh, obviously has a heart for NASCAR and wants to see the sport continue to grow. So we had a phenomenal conversation with him uh, talking odds, talking how lines are made, talking about, how much or how little handle NASCAR betters uh, are not the books get from NASCAR betters. Um, and and we, we do our best at solving NASCAR's problems. Yeah, and, yeah. and Todd came up with a pretty good, a pretty good solution. It's just trying to get everybody on board. Yeah. We've, we basically figured it out. Now we just got to figure out a way to get uh, NASCAR to pay us million dollars and, uh, consulting <laughs> fees to to warrant that but yep. uh so go check that out and then we'll be back here uh to to wrap up the show all right brian twining we are excited to have host of the bet the board podcast including the stay green podcast with our guy chris wormy 
uh, joining us for the first time. Talk a little NASCAR, talk a little line shopping, talk a little line creation, um, all that good stuff, and some NASCAR stuff in general. It's Todd Furman. How's it going, Todd? Everything is good, gentlemen, but you guys are giving me way too much credit if you're going to say that I am at all responsible for hosting. We know with Chris, you just roll the ball out there <laughs> yep. and let him take it wherever he wants to go. You hope he embarrasses himself at some <laughs> point over the course of a 40-minute recording, and then I get to knock him down a peg or two to humble him before the races typically do that to all of us every single Sunday throughout the course of the season. Yeah, yeah, I, I almost feel like you're just like the chauffeur of the show, <laughs> and Chris is like the... The, hey, the, the I mean, loud passenger. you guys know how some of this stuff works. I mean, the consummate host just has to make the talent around him look that much better. And, uh, you know, if I can throw the ball at the rim and whether it's letting Chris throw it down on stay green, talking NASCAR or letting Payne and Brad powers do the same in college football in the NFL makes my job significantly easier. But at the same time, I have to make sure that I am as up to speed on everything we're discussing. So they don't try and pull a quick one on me and make us all look like rambling buffoons. Yeah, and uh, goes under uh, without being uh, necessarily being said, but make sure you are subscribed to Stay Green. Make sure you are subscribed to Bet the Board if you are betting NASCAR and or college football all season long. It is a phenomenal resource and uh, one I highly, highly recommend. Um, so, Todd, let's let's start with Stay Green. Let's start with the Chris Wormy experience. And, um, you know, how, how did you guys get started on, uh, you know, kind of running that pod? Was it his idea and you kind of steer the ship? Like how, how did that come together? So I can hit the way back button and I'll give you the kind of a bridge version of actually how I got connected with Chris and started betting NASCAR with him going back more than a decade now. Actually, it's my younger sister that gets full credit for that. She actually was the one that met Chris on an airplane way back when I have no idea where the hell they were going or any of the other uh, elements surrounding that fortuitous meeting that actually benefited me a hell of a lot more than it benefited her <laughs> in the grand scheme of it. Um, Chris told my sister that he bet NASCAR or bet sports professionally. And so my sister, you know, kind of being the smart ass that she is goes, Oh, my brother works in the space. And as Chris tells the story, he kind of rolled his eyes, figuring it was a fly by night handicapper or something along those lines. My sister pulled up the website and Chris goes, I actually read a lot of your brother's content and stuff. Can, can you set up a meeting for us uh, next time I'm in Vegas? So as one thing led to the next, you know, Chris came out here and kind of took me under his wing, honestly. I had never really bet NASCAR before that. Uh, the only thing that I had exposure to NASCAR betting was knowing that our numbers at Caesars back in the day were exceptionally soft. And if I took bets, there was something probably extremely off <laughs> Uh, in our betting markets there. So Chris and I had been betting NASCAR for a while, obviously without legalization in most states. It helped me being in Nevada, being able to run from book to book, whether it was Xfinity or Cup or anything else, that he would do a lot of the quarterbacking of things. And I filled the runner role and also played a little bit of devil's advocate. Fast forward to uh, the last handful of years, and I had done a lot of NASCAR gambling content during my time with Fox as part of Race Hub. They uh, kind of jokingly one year on the NASCAR awards, we were sitting down having drinks in the sports book at win. And they go, no one really bets NASCAR, do they? I go, well, little do you know, we actually do. Gave them a bit of a sales pitch and they kind of thought, hey, maybe we'll try this because NASCAR wasn't going to push back nearly as much as a lot of the other mm -hmm. traditional stick and ball yep. sports were to try and create a level of exposure. So I started doing hits on Thursdays for Race Hub and that, you know, opportunity ran the better part of seven or eight years, I think, although my memory is a little bit foggy. Uh, and at the same time was able to build a relationship with NASCAR itself. 
They brought me on a couple of years ago to do some evergreen videos, introducing a lot of the betting markets as they started to forge their partnerships, explaining what some of the opportunities that were out there, whether it was the outright market, whether it was top threes, top fives, head-to-head matchups. And we kind of all spitballed a little bit about, you know what, there has to be a way that we can do something slightly more in depth to cover NASCAR betting. Fast forward a little bit to last season, and that was kind of the genesis behind the Stay Green podcast. I knew Chris had always wanted to get involved in creating content and said, hey, I think we have a great opportunity to do things on our own terms. We can use our Bet the Board platform. We'll have a built-in audience here, and we'll just have to make them understand that NASCAR can offer the same type of money-making opportunities that they'll find in some of the more traditional sports that we have grown with our audience. We were able to do that. We did basically a 20-episode dry run last season. Uh, and unfortunately, NASCAR didn't quite see the value and or upside. I, I offered a little bit of a monologue for anybody that wants to go back to listen to that. I believe it was for before the Vegas race where I was much more eloquent than I would be in this particular space here. So we were disappointed, of course, with NASCAR's decision. They elected to put all their eggs in that barstool basket uh, and create a little bit of content over there. Hey, look, every entity has the opportunity to go in whatever direction they so choose. But we felt that we still had a niche to fill in the ecosystem. We had already made a commitment to stay green uh, and thought we could tap into some of the relationships in NASCAR. And here we are, you know, essentially 10 races away from the playoffs and our audience continues to grow. Love the interaction and the feedback. And as you guys can attest to, I think the NASCAR betting community, maybe more so than any other out there on social media right now, is as supportive of one another. Uh, the feedback is tremendous, the interaction, and I constantly get smarter just reading and listening to different people that want to talk about it. So I said that was the Cliff Notes version. I'm sure you guys would cringe <laughs> if I actually gave you the long-winded approach. Yeah, no, that was that was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, the NASCAR betting community, it, Brian and I both jumped in basically at, as COVID was coming yep. here, uh, as basically the only sport coming back. So we're like, let's try this NASCAR thing out. Through it, what three years later now, it, we're absolutely die diehard fans, <laughs> yes. uh, studying all the time, and the community has been phenomenal. Obviously, Chris has joined us a couple times, but you know, there's a few podcasts that are putting out a ton of really good work, and uh, we try and interact with them as much as possible because it, it's been a phenomenal experience. No, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, look, everyone has kind of helped you know raise the overall IQ from the space. Uh, and the interaction, I think, forces people to be somewhat accountable. Nobody wants to come into any of the content platforms unprepared. And, and I think as everyone gets to be a little bit smarter, as people's bankrolls grow, uh, there begin to become a lot more challenges that the NASCAR betting markets are going to have to face because we know that handle is increasing, but there's not nearly that same level of liquidity. We mm -hmm. talk all the time about limits, uh, and it's obviously doesn't apply to every better out there. But I think it's something to be cognizant of as people want to bet more and more money on some of these NASCAR races and find out it's not as easy to try and make money on the sport when you're severely limited when you think you actually have an edge that you're subsequently trying to monetize. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I think, think go ahead, I man. think also, too, it's something I've kind of noticed just from going back and forth from uh, Southern California to Vegas is I almost feel like the numbers move quicker in the NASCAR market than they do in other sports, because when they see any sort of wager that's out of the norm, that isn't the general public you know, $20, $100 bet, the books are like forced to be like, oh crap, this is a, this is a sharp placing a bet here. And I feel like the numbers get moved a lot more in the NASCAR uh, space also too, because there isn't really dedicated NASCAR line, you know, line makers at these sports books. 
Well, that's definitely part of it. Uh, there's no doubt when you look through the space, I mean, there's a handful of odds makers that specialize in NASCAR that I truly respect. The first name that comes to mind is Ed Sammons over at the Westgate Superbook. We, uh, I know Ed has bet the sport consistently for years, follows it, and that's why Westgate's betting menu will typically be very different when you're talking about head-to-head matchups than what a lot of the other books will hang on a week-to-week basis. I mean, Circa, to their credit, while they don't pay attention to the Trucks or Xfinity series, does offer 25 matchups, typically the first 25 matchups that are available on screen. So you know going into the race weekend, that's what's going to be available, where a lot of the other shops and some of them that are NASCAR partners, you just don't know what you're going to get above and beyond kind of the outrights, the top threes, and the top fives. And I think that's what all of us really want is consistency with some of this stuff. We at least know when we're talking about college basketball or the NFL or college football, you're going to get every single game that's being offered and you would like that ability as a sports better to be able to prep accordingly and be able to approach it. But unfortunately, we're in such an infancy for the NASCAR betting markets that you know asking for that kind of consistency is probably a pipe dream as we sit here in 2023. Yeah, and it's uh, it can be frustrating when you think you might have found an edge with a matchup or uh, a top 10 opportunity, and you're just not getting either you're not getting the opportunity to bet it at all, or you're getting a terrible number. Um, if you want to get down any sort of action. So I guess from a book perspective, like how low are we talking about on the totem pole? Like, are we, are we like beyond the basement? I mean, like, like what, what do we need to do to get us to a point where we can actually get some of these things that we're clamoring for? I mean, I think it's going to be a process and NASCAR, in my opinion, understands that they have some smart people that have been tasked with trying to create awareness, grow that level of fan engagement as a result. But, you know, NASCAR, when you're talking about what it represents in terms of gross gaming revenue and or handle for a lot of books, anytime you're below 1% and probably even less than a half percent in the case of NASCAR, you're not going to get those dedicated resources to it. And I think the biggest task in all of this is how do you get more recreational bettors to, to want to be involved in this particular sport? They may not be as inclined to bet into some of the head-to-head matchups and some of the derivative markets that are available. They'll type a few bucks rooting for their favorite drivers in you know, the outright market, putting up a little bit to make a lot and potentially giving themselves three-plus hours of entertainment on a Saturday or Sunday throughout the season. But it's one of the biggest challenges that bookmakers will face working in conjunction with NASCAR. Uh, And it's why at the same time, everyone talks about live betting and the opportunities that NASCAR is going to offer there. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I've been behind the counter, guys, and I know the space has obviously gotten a lot more sophisticated and smarter with the computer models, algorithms, and everything else. But people that are betting live NASCAR that want to do it for substantial amounts, it's not the kind of action that's going to be profitable for the sports yeah. books long-term in any capacity until you can have a dedicated trading team that can understand, all right, track position, what does it mean here? Who's on a different tire strategy? And how you can factor all of those variables in despite the bill of goods that you know some of the companies working on those algos like Sports Radar uh, or Bet Genius are, are trying to convince people that, hey, look, we're going to create an airtight model allowing books to take significantly larger wagers. I don't think we're anything close to that. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to go back to the just the the percentage of handle for NASCAR real quick. Uh, with work, we have a we have a work chat through Slack and a, while, a little while ago we were chatting about the uh just the handles at different sports books and apparently Colorado in the month of April, I believe it was, table tennis uh 
was like the ninth most bet sport in the state of Colorado. And NASCAR was nowhere to, nowhere to be found on the top 10. So, I mean, I definitely think it's also a, a result of just the sport itself being kind of, you know, more Southern and a little more like Midwest type thing. Like you're losing a lot of the markets out West or maybe the Northeast just because that's not necessarily their niche. Yeah. And I think there can be a level of intimidation. Look, I mean, if you get thrown into the deep end of the pool, I mean, trying to go through NASCAR matchups and figure out where you're going to get a lot of your data that you're going to make some informed choices off of can be extremely intimidating. It's not as simple and straightforward. And of course I use the term simple facetiously for the casual fan that follows his or her favorite NFL team and can open up the newspaper or what was the newspaper back then. Now, obviously go to their mobile sports book on a Saturday or Sunday and go, Hey, look, I like team a for this reason. I feel comfortable betting that instead of trying to figure out what Denny Hamlin's track history may be, you know, with this particular tire compound at mile tracks against Kyle Bush and how they want to try and go about identifying an edge. So inherently there are always going to be some challenges there. And look, while I don't want us to lose any of our edge by any stretch of the imagination, and I'll never give away our secret sauce in terms of how we weight some of the variables that go into it, if NASCAR and some of these other entities were a little bit more serious about trying to grow this, they'd want to create readily available access to at least the recreational better that didn't have some of the means, didn't have the technology to create these databases, build their models, be able to pull lap times and everything else that comes along with it to give them that level of comfort that at least if they wanted to bet, you know, 22 to win 20 or whatever it may be as part of their bankroll, yeah. they don't feel they're operating at a massive disadvantage. And Brian, even us, like we've been in this for a few years and still trying to figure out tire compound. Is it the short, you know, what package are they using this week? Yeah, it, it is pretty daunting. And I could definitely see like why people may be intimidated to jump in the sport. I do oh, think. Yeah, there's no doubt, Kyle. I mean, there are so many different things, even for guys like us that have been doing it as long as we have. I mean, trying to find some of this information week in, week out can be like looking for the holy grail in in the grand scheme of things. And look, unlike some of the other sports that are out there, you don't have that many insiders that are sharing information. I mean, if Bob Pockris isn't putting stuff out or you're not watching some of the individual telecasts, whether they be on Fox or NBC, you're not going to find that same level of information or develop that comfort until you've been able to check all of your boxes and make sure there aren't unknowns that you're flying blind into putting together a racing portfolio on a given weekend. Yeah, yeah and even I, with some of the broadcasts, like there's there's a lot of frustration about the things that they share and things that they don't yep, share. And yep. They're constantly going to commercial instead of talking about whatever's going on with somebody's tire or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and 100%. I, I just wanted to add too, like I kind of look at NASCAR and and very similar to what golf has now, like the golf space for betting has grown exponentially because you have all these people that are bringing out all the statistics, like greens and regulation, like fairway percentage, all this type of stuff. And until like NASCAR really finds, you know, Bob Pockers out there tweeting about this stuff or producing content like that, it's really the community that we have like kind of built building the last couple of years as the only source of data and so obviously, again, like novices or new people to the space, they're, they're not even going to know where to find that type of information to go to the book and use it in an actionable way. Exactly. I mean, I think when you look at the overall dynamic for it, I mean, NASCAR, NASCAR is going to have access to a lot more of the data. And there are a number of things that they could do to put together statistical snapshots or allow people access, whether it's on their site or through other channels to try and figure out what, you know, individual track history will look like, make some of this information, 
you know, one-stop shopping, so to speak, when you talk about some of the loop data that all of us that have done this long enough know where to go to try and find it. Look, sports bettors are ultimately going to get some of that stuff, but you have to bounce around to a number of sites and yep. people as a result can build some of their more in-depth metrics that they're going to rely on. I mean, a lot of people focus on green flag pit stops and they'll build that in as a handicappable component for what they're trying to do or some of the restart data that's out there. There are so many different ways to skin a cat. And if you can have all that information in one place and allow people to download it, allow people to manipulate it and build their models or to try and figure out unique ways to look at it, I think it's better for some of the broadcast, the telecast, and of course, handicappers that are going to feel more and more comfortable betting into some of these markets that otherwise would be extremely foreign to them. Yeah. And I think one of the things that golf has that maybe NASCAR doesn't is they do have more more potential winners at the 20 to like 50 range where you really can put down five dollars and get a big and bigger hit where especially like last year was kind of the admiration this year it's gotten back to it's really there's a handful of names at the top of the board that are going to be in the conversation maybe you get a you know we got truex last week we we're very excited about that but you know that those kind of 20 to 30 to one guys don't pop quite as much so it's hard to um, be as excited as a recreational better to go in, throw five, 10 bucks down and, and try and hit a big winner. For sure. And I mean, you mentioned the price on Martin Truex that of course was pre-week. I mean, after practice, I mean, yep. if you waited until race day, I mean, some of the sharpest books went off uh, right around seven or eight to one on the 19, you could find some tens if you shopped around. And, and as you go through the data for the way the season has gone, he's not a long shot, but I believe the biggest price that's cashed other than Ricky Stenhouse, and we can throw out plate tracks because I don't like to look at that as real racing, would be Ryan Blaney, uh, you know, of course, oh, yeah. with his with his win at Charlotte, you know, in that 25 to 1 range. So it's not, to your point, Kyle, the same level of parity we saw last year. And I think for a lot of folks, it's trying to figure it out. Now, I'm not sure if that serves as a deterrent or if they go, hey, look, I can isolate it to essentially 10 to 12 drivers. And it's a question of which favorite I want to bet any given week. So... It's a glass half full mentality, but you're right. You're not going to find the 110 to one guys, you know, coming home as often as they do in golf, uh, unless we're talking about Chris Busher winning a Pocono and range short races. Yeah. <laughs> so like, how do we like, well, if you were the commissioner of golf uh, or rather the commissioner of NASCAR, or you were involved with trying to progress the betting community, how would you like, what, what is a one way or maybe a couple ways that you would think, this would help move the sport forward, help get more casuals interested in potentially betting, obviously giving them access to numbers. But, you know, what about like a, an alternate broadcast or or some other uh, form of uh, of way of getting people in the door and more interested in betting every, on a week to week basis? Yeah, I mean, I think the idea of alternate broadcast obviously makes some sense. Uh, I'm not a fan of the term betcast, to be quite honest, that we've seen with a lot of the different platforms that are out there. You know, I applaud everyone in the TV space that wants to be creative and do things outside the box. But I think all of that does is further reinforces the gap between the haves and the have nots. Because if someone didn't have an interest in betting already, they're not going to suddenly flip on a betcast where you're talking about, you know, live markets or some of the yep. advanced metrics for the better part. In NASCAR's case, three and a half hours from start to finish. It's daunting enough if you did it in just an NBA game that lasts two and a half hours. So if you're looking at trying to do some alternative broadcasts, I love the idea of bringing on guests. And I'm not going to quite say the Manning cast um, or anything like that. 
but trying to figure out some of the things that a crew chief or former drivers may begin to look for, trying to figure out how you could integrate some of those advanced metrics there and make it a one size fits all platform, which is obviously easier said than done. Uh, but to allow people to understand that there's a lot more than just left turns that go into, you know, kind of handicapping a race on an oval. I mean, it's great that you can listen to some of the scanner stuff for those folks who want to try and take advantage of that and have a little bit of an inkling in terms of what the teams are talking about. But I think access to data would probably be the number one thing for me to make sure that that's generally available for people, that they can get it in real time as they're watching the races. Um, when they're getting some of the practice stuff that's out there, whether it's the five, the 10, the 15 lap averages and kind of breaking some of that stuff down through a raw feed more than anything else that I know a lot of us can pull on our own. Um, but NASCAR doesn't exactly make some of that extremely public, uh, and just trying to share some of the nuggets that are there. I mean, I know of a company that works closely with Fox, uh, called racing insights that provides a ton of great data that obviously Fox is able to integrate in their broadcast. I'm sure uh, NBC has their own partners as well, but just different ways that you can find unique aspects to incorporate into feeds that you may not have the opportunity to do on a linear TV broadcast, but you will on some of the streaming platforms and everything else. And I think it begs the question, will we see NBC try and think outside the box a little bit when they're able to simulcast on Peacock? I think the announcement came out earlier this week that there were going to be seven or eight races that they were going to do that. And will they use that as a litmus test to try and see, okay, this concept works, this doesn't, we can flash live odds, we can explain how some of these things get set, and just try and raise the overall collective IQ for fans that might be intimidated by motorsports in general. Because mm -hmm. look, I've never changed my oil, I can't tell you how to change a tire, and without AAA I'd be lost. So if you're talking about some of the actual components that go into being a true grease monkey, although I'm not sure they like that term, it can be a lot to try and process some of the aerodynamic components and everything else. But if you have a voice like a Larry McReynolds that can oversimplify it um, with a Fox cutaway car or things like that in more great detail than just a 30 second spot uh, over the course of a three hour telecast. Yeah, I think that yeah, makes yeah, that that makes a ton of sense, and that that's funny. You talk about like just not knowing much about cars, like for like we said at the top, it took us COVID to really dive into NASCAR because I like I was a fan as a younger kid. I liked Mark Martin, but I wasn't like a diehard fan. And then it just kind of faded, and then you know COVID hit, and then you start watching it. You start betting on. For me, it went, like went backwards. Betting on it developed into <laughs> becoming a fan. Yeah, yeah, you no, know, I I totally agree with that, and. Um, I do like the data and the analytics and kind of figuring out that component um, in general. So uh, obviously getting access to some of those numbers would be incredible. Now, I, I guess my question then is if the, I guess the people that are already betting this on a consistent basis and getting down sizable bets, they have, a, they have access to these numbers. So in terms of them improving as betters, do you think that would change much? Or do you think that just kind of raises the floor of what everybody else could get to? I mean, look, old school betters are going to say, look, they don't want any of that information being made public. They don't want some of that stuff getting out there. They're, they're going to feel they're going to lose an edge. But as we all know, I can give you all the data in the world and you're still not going to be able to put the puzzle together correctly. Yep. I mean, I look at the NFL and all of the advanced metrics that are out there, but if I overemphasize yards per play and I don't factor in strength to schedule and the caliber of competition they're playing, then there's all sorts of noise in those numbers. So for me, I'm all about getting all the information out there, creating open code, so to speak, um, and letting people make some of their own choices as a result. 
Because right now, I mean, professional bettors and those folks that are moving larger sums are already doing things, thinking outside the box. They're trying to take advantage of the data that they're pulling that, you know, odds makers may not even necessarily be looking at in the same capacity. So the more stuff you get out there and you guys brought up golf, which brought up golf, which is the perfect example. I mean, someone like Rick Eman does an outstanding job and data golf and everything else and all the metrics that are out there. Look, uh, suddenly I don't see a hundred million people making money, profiting, betting golf every single weekend. The numbers get sharper. You have to try and isolate your edges and they may not be as pronounced as what they've been in the past, but sharp betters, whether it's the financial markets or anything else are always going to ultimately be able to find their edge. They're just going to have to do things a little bit differently and stay one step ahead of the curve. Uh, if the general public is catching up to them in general acumen. And as golf has grown, like, do you have an idea of kind of where the market and the, the handle that the books are getting, like, have they noticed a sizable increase that if we got to a point with NASCAR doing a similar idea, maybe we get better, a little bit better numbers at the window. Maybe they take a little bit more, um, on certain bets, like kind of how have you viewed that part? Yeah. Golf handle has grown substantially. And you guys mentioned COVID and I think, you know, NASCAR was a beneficiary there, but golf was the real winner um, during COVID when it was one of the only sports that people could look to bet. You had a lot of people that had grown accustomed to some of the more traditional sports that started getting into golf. And I'm seeing more and more good golf content out there as well. um, That's tailored for a recreational better. And I think golf can relate more to the lowest common denominator, sometimes a little bit more readily than NASCAR can. I mean, most of us don't grow up at dirt tracks. Most of us have never raced bandoleros or anything else along those lines. So unless you've had exposure to it, you've had friends or family, it's not quite the same as someone's uncle or friend's dad or grandfather that's gone to the golf course that's going to flip it on or Saturday or Sunday and they're starting to develop a level of familiarity uh, with some of the big names that are out there. So there's no doubt that golf handle continues to grow. I think it's in a market that's only going to increase. And the nice part about golf, you know, as we look at what the landscape will be, whether it's the DP world tour, whether it's the PGA, the live or the combination of everything, when that situation ultimately resolves itself, you can find golf tournaments almost every single weekend. So you really don't have to take a break like you do from a football or college football or some of the other sports uh, that are out there. Again, people feel comfortable and you can attack it from a variety of different ways based on the markets and or players that are there, but you gradually find a way to get more comfortable with what's taking place and you find that entry point where you go, all right, I'm going to commit myself to learning about it. I may only bet the majors and then suddenly you're betting the higher stakes, the elevated events, and then you're trying to grind out a winner in Moline, Illinois in the John Deere Classic where nobody's heard of any of the golfers other than the top three guys on the odds board. That's the best way to to make some serious money. Um, I do want to talk about um, my brain just went blank. Brian, Brian, you going to take over? Yeah. So um, wh- one thing that I was curious about is like, so clearly the Daytona 500 is the sport's largest race of the season. And I'm sure the handle for that is exponentially more than what the rest of the season is. And I wonder if that has to do with just the buildup of the race itself and the media attention that it garners, could the networks be doing a better job in just promoting the sport and also just promoting like odds to just increase the interest in doing that? Because clearly the 500, like I was in Vegas for the 500 and every sports book was, was packed. Like I, <laughs> I, I went to a, I went to a watch party at the South point and it was, it was full. It was full. Like it was standing room only. 
So while it's not apples to apples and it's always dangerous to make uh, general assumptions like I do, but what you can see out there is typically when there are more eyeballs on an event, betting handle typically increases as a result. So you're going to see a lot more betting handle, for example, on the Masters than you will the PGA Championship. You'll see a lot more betting handle on Daytona than you will the races at Atlanta later later in the True. season, partly because they're on the board significantly longer. But to your point, you know, it's the Super Bowl of NASCAR. So people are going to gravitate towards it. We see the massive marketing push that Fox puts towards it throughout the course of football season. It's impossible not to watch any of the NFC playoff games and not be inundated by 37 previews of what we're <laughs> going to expect and Daytona True. coming up. The challenge that NASCAR has to get betting handle on a week-in, week-out basis is that there's a lot of competition for share of wallet. And some of that competition doesn't exist early on in the season. So Daytona, it's the perfect time on the calendar. It's right after Super Bowl. People are looking for things to bet. They're not fully entrenched in college basketball yet like they will be a month later when the NCAA tournament kicks off. April and May, June, NBA playoffs, that really dominates in most sports books. But there is a void during the summer months where NASCAR can be the preeminent event. We're about to go into it now where you yep. get about a six-week stretch where people are looking to bet. It's golf, it's NASCAR, and they're going to put together baseball parlays of however they feel comfortable more than anything else. The problem for NASCAR, though, that they also run into is, look, the playoffs go butting up against the biggest behemoth in all of sports betting. Yep. So if NASCAR wants to try and see an uptick in betting handle during the playoff races, Good luck uh, trying to convince somebody if they have to make a decision between betting the night race at Bristol or betting a college football game or trying to get involved in the Roval or betting you know a three-teamer on the NFL that they're going head-to-head -head yeah. with. Look, you, you know you're fighting a losing battle in that regard, but if you can win fans during the slower times of year, maybe you see a little bit of that trickle-down economics for, from some of that that there is ride an ability to ride a tailwind into the playoffs. But I think NASCAR's schedule for as much as we all love it, the fact that they race 36 times in a 37 week span, that if they change things a little bit and say the season were to wrap up in August, which is never going to happen, then you might be able to drive massive betting handle when there's no football to compete with. And you can really play up. Hey, look, these are the most important races of the season. We're going to be able to crown a champion here. And it carries itself right into the fall where you're not necessarily competing um, with college football and the NFL, which is essentially the two biggest sports that sports books will deal with to, you know, throughout the course of the year. There it is. We need to just send this in the NASCAR. Todd has solved. We got it. We do. We do. We fixed it. Um, it may sound. Hey, look, we, we can go, we can go more midweek races like COVID. Try and yeah. figure out how we can set yes. some of that stuff up. You know, a little Thursday Sunday double dip uh, to try and get the full thirty six race allotment in. Figure out from a geographic proximity. Uh, and maybe more importantly, it'd give us uh, an increased menu of tracks that we could run the NASCAR championship at in early November instead of just, you know, Phoenix, places in California, obviously Florida, uh, yeah. and spots where you don't have to worry about, you know, sub-zero temperatures True. or shoveling snow off the track. Yeah. Yeah. It may sound crazy and uh, longtime NASCAR fans probably would hate it, but I do wonder if moving Daytona to the middle of summer could make some sense so you have a build towards a massive race then you have the break and then you have basically the second half of the season get ready for the playoffs um and maybe i mean i i think it helps having it early because it gives people a reason to be excited um okay. you know coming right into the season to try and be able to do that but to your point kyle it's a question of what you can do to ride that wave of momentum and how you can parlay that into you know, taking the storylines from Daytona, which we know is always going to be 
a competitive race just based on the nature of what we see from super speedways to try and do that into subsequent races, but understand some of the ebbs and flows that are there. And I think a lot of the NASCAR fans get frustrated that they want to be front center all the time, but look, there are so many different entertainment options. You kind of have to know where you stack up and be able to capitalize on it. And I think that's why a lot of us are going to be fascinated to see if NBC can really drive eyeballs for the Chicago street race in early July. And if that'll create some unique buzz in a major city, something that they haven't done before outside of their comfort zone, regardless of what the actual on-track racing product will look like or the feasibility of being able to try and find an edge is a better. Yeah. Yeah. As a better, it'll probably be one that we don't really want to get involved with. And, uh, but if it is something that builds up the sport, gets people's eyeballs to it and carries it through the rest of the season, that would be something that would be really cool. And um, we've seen NBC really take advantage of the streaming platform to get soccer as something more popular in the States. So maybe we can get uh, NASCAR on a similar level. Um Hey, I mean, that's, that's always the goal. I mean, you have to, you have to walk before you can run. And I think you have to be willing to take some swings, realizing that everything isn't going to result in a home run. Uh, but it's gradually being able to play a field position game that suddenly NASCAR can start to become a much bigger sport on the American landscape. Uh, cause to your point right now, when you look at some of the betting handle numbers, the sports it's behind. And even if you look at viewership, look, no one says it's going to be able to compete with the NFL. No one thinks it's going to be able to compete with marquee NBA games or or even the world series. But if you can be a sport that's going to slop behind right behind golf and right behind soccer and how important soccer has become, you know, there's nothing wrong with being inside that top 10, you know, from an overall viewership standpoint, week in, week out. Yeah. Yeah, And I think like the the last thing on that point for me is being a, being a diehard baseball fan. And I'm, I'm, I'm the old man of our podcast. Like I'm very traditional and, (laughs) you know, but I've enjoyed the changes that baseball has made out of necessity to try to grow the fan base. And I feel like NASCAR is at that point where it's going to take some like wild out of the box thinking to try to grow the, just the amount of fans that it has. And cause you can't, you can't continue to cater to the past. If you want to continue to grow as a sport, like that's kind of what we're learning. And you know what, honestly, you know, for as disparaging as some of this may sound towards NASCAR, I do have to give them a ton of credit. I mean, going to the Coliseum, trying to be able to take advantage of that venue in a major metropolitan market, whether or not Chicago works remains to be seen, but it's the right thought process that's there. And I think some of these opportunities that they're taking, they would have been reluctant to do whether it was five to seven years ago. So we're trending in the right direction in that general regard. And it's just what we can do above and beyond to create that increased level of fan engagement, the inc- the increased access to you know drivers and some of the personalities that are out there. So I think the thought process is there. It's just a question of what the execution will look like. And, and obviously, if the three of us had the perfect cure all for all of that, as much as we love podcasting, we'd be collecting checks for you know yeah. multi million dollar consultants to try and turn this business into an even bigger cash cow than it already can be. Absolutely. So let's parlay this conversation forward. Let's talk about the rest of the NASCAR season. Um, Is there a driver or two that you're excited about down the stretch? Someone that you think you might be betting a little more than maybe you had expected or someone that's just improving as the season's gone along and you think could provide opportunities for betters as the season kind of comes to the playoff? 
So, I mean, I'll take some of the low-hanging fruit, and obviously this is factoring in recency bias as much as anything else, but I think it's great for the sport to see Ryan Blaney and what he's been able to do, finally breaking that long, winless drought and grabbing one of the crown jewel races there. We know what he has in terms of talent and his ability to try and be able to race up through the field, so I think that was good to see. Martin Truex, whether or not he's back behind the wheel of the 19 next year, something that he's obviously played his cards tight to the vest, but considering all the bad luck and misfortune he had to deal with last year, it's good to see him in fast race cars more often than not. Look, I mean, from a sports standpoint, given the lightning rod that he's become, Denny Hamlin finally winning a championship and cementing his Hall of Fame legacy, in my opinion, would be outstanding for the sport as well. But, you know, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks after all that HMS dominance early where we thought it was just going to be, you know, the five and the 24, eventually yeah. the nine would catch up. Uh, and be able to compete as well, that there's a lot more parity. And as we get into the summer circuit, we know the hot tracks are hotter, they're slicker. We'll see which teams are making strides, which teams are you know tinkering a little bit with their setups, trying to get ready for the playoffs. And I think the biggest storyline that everyone's going to follow is, you know, will the nine be able to win a race and find passage into the playoffs? Because Chase Elliott isn't going to be able to point his way in given the suspension and the time he missed with the injury. Uh, so let's see how that storyline gets covered on NBC, especially as that sand continues to tick through the hourglass. And if we're three or four races away from the end of the regular season and Chase Elliott still ha doesn't have a win, how things will change with that particular dynamic and how it gets covered more importantly through some of NASCAR media. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how they play it. And more importantly, how his driving changes as the season comes yes. along. Uh, yeah. Todd, this was phenomenal. Thank you so much for, for joining us and uh, for all the conversations. Please tell our listeners where they can find Bet the Board, where they can follow you and check out anything else you want to throw at them. Hey, well, I appreciate the opportunity, guys. Always fun to talk a little NASCAR and try and solve all the problems in the sandbox uh, that I'm sure NASCAR is trying to address internally. So if they're out there listening, uh, I'm sure all of us are available for a small consulting fee to be able to turn <laughs> things around in, in certain areas. But as far as overall content, always encourage people to check out all things Bet the Board, not only the Stay Green podcast that you guys referenced at the top, uh, where we do a weekly show before each race. Uh, but plenty of college football content as well. We'll rattle off group of five previews, all of the big leagues that are out there uh, and wrap those up in late July before we kind of pivot. We'll do all the NFL previews. And before we know it, we'll be into a full football schedule on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays for Ooh. content throughout the course of the season. Stay green. We'll stay on, you know, essentially the middle week. And uh, it's the time of year that we look forward to as sports betters where sleep is of the utmost importance because you don't have enough hours in the day to be able to grind the amount of data that you need to, to give yourself an edge each and every week at the betting window. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Make sure you are listening to bet the board each and every week, uh, especially as college football approaches, Brian and I will be betting each and every week. So, you know, we'll be tuned in to get all yes, of that information. Sure. Uh, thanks again to Todd and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. All right, we're back. Uh, that was a, a phenomenal conversation. Had a lot of fun Todd, uh, chatting with Todd. Uh, hopefully it's the first of many conversations um, as, as somebody who uh, both has a, a really good background and just understanding of, of both NASCAR and betting and I think makes us yeah. all uh, smarter as um, you know, better. So uh, we will be taking the weekend off uh, as NASCAR does. Um, enjoy it. Enjoy your Father's Day if for those that are um, celebrating. And then Brian and I will be back 
Next Wednesday, we will be uh, diving into some of the championship odds for the rest of the way. We will obviously get into next week's race and get you set like we do each and every week. If you are new to the show, please make sure you hit the subscribe button. It really does do a lot for the show. We're working towards uh, a thousand subs. That would really, really mean a lot to us. If you enjoyed the conversation, definitely hit the thumbs up and then let us know down in the comments. How are you fixing NASCAR to become more of a popular betting experience each and every week? Uh, for the casual fan. So for Brian Twining, I'm Kyle Robert. Enjoy the race, or I guess enjoy the break. Uh, enjoy the, I hope you enjoyed the Marty party and got to tag along with us. Yes. And, uh, and make sure to tune in next week as I unveil my next. Oh, awesome Brian's, hat. Brian's NASCAR hat collection has grown and boy, is this a doozy. So make sure you are subscribed. So you don't miss next week's show. For Brian Twining, I'm Kyle Robert. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.